Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. So my mum always told me that sharing is caring. So if by the end of this interview you care enough, I'd love it if you could share with as many of your friends and colleagues as possible. On tonight's episode, we talk about transitioning from working as a consultant for the big four into product management. The importance of not just talking the talk, but walking the walk when you're trying to transition. The problems of getting a PM job with no experience. The importance of ignoring your friends and developing your public speaking skills so you can seem more effective at work. The importance of having a platform for women in product to share their experiences and learn from each other. And a horrifying power morning schedule that makes my eyes water. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So, my guest tonight is Deepti Tadala, eye-wateringly early riser and TV-averse poet who once wrote 550 poems in 550 days, formerly a tech consultant at one of the big four, before going back to college and then moving into product management in upstate New York, passionate about education and networking, and currently working as a technical product manager for Cinecore, and says she thrives on chaos. So, I'm just going to throw my question cards up in the air and let's have at it. How are you doing, Deepti? Good. How are you doing, Jason? Uh, I was doing better before I threw all my question cards up in the, in the air, but we'll, we'll be fine. Let's get into it. First things first, uh, who are Cinecore and what problem do they solve? So Cinecore essentially is a SaaS company and it has a different product, the products that it offers. Uh, obviously, search and advertising and email is one of their products. And then there is Cloud ID, the platform that I work on. And Cloud ID is an identity management platform where our services and our offerings are to ensure that the user's credentials are secured. And if I have to describe identity management to a person who does not understand the space, is my job is to make sure that your credentials are safe and secure and that they are easy for you to use. Like from the moment you are trying to register or sign in to the moment you log in into your application and you want and you start using it, there's less of friction. Right. So I would say probably all the biometrics, the multi-factor authentications and all the cutting edge technologies, we build products around that as our offerings. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, because there's this feeling around certain types of authentication that the more complicated and, and hassle that, that it is to use, then the less likely people are going to be to try and use it or they start taking shortcuts. But almost like the equivalent of sticking post-its with their passwords on their monitor but in biometric form or, or whatever now i guess that's a big part of that security is it a constant battle to make sure that you can ride that wave and make sure that people are comfortable using it yeah sure right so there's always a thing about securing your credentials making sure that uh, we do not leave any loopholes open whereas users our credentials are mismanaged but at the same, and we don't, ha- and making sure that we don't have to remember our passwords often on, but also trying to ensure that my entry or into the app is easy enough, right? So let's say I'm trying to register, and it takes me like three whole minutes, and I forget what I did. <laughs> What's the point? It's just for me to set up that two attributes, like just that username and this password, right? I'm going through that whole process. So what can I do to make that process easy for you? And once I have those credentials handy, what do I do to make sure that 
I'm able to ha- hang on to it, not having to use it and remember it often, but still keep using my product or my application or whatever, right? So that's always a hard balance that we have to strike. Yeah, absolutely. So you're a technical product manager there, which also implies that there are some non-technical product managers there and, and other types of product people on the team. So how does the product team look like at Cinecore and, and how do you interact with each other? So we obviously have a whole engineering team and we also have a sales team and that this product, we have our VP of uh, product, John Kavanaugh, and we are a couple of technical product managers, two, three of us. And we are each working on different product lines. One is for the consumer space and then there is obviously... so. Cloud ID is predominantly huge in the TVE space, where we have service providers and content providers. Now, we also now are building up our consumer and the enterprise platforms as well. So we each product manager is dedicated to one of the product lines. And I primarily work on the consumer space with the go-to-market strategy and product market fit in the, in the consumer platform, which means I also work with the sales team and the account team in our company, along with the engineering, obviously. And then there's the VP of uh, product who drives the entire Cloud ID uh, product strategy and the roadmap. So, Yeah, that's interesting because you obviously have a, a technical product management role, which would in some companies imply a very technical inwards facing type role where you're yeah. mainly working on defining technical specifications and working directly with engineers. But you also, and I know that we spoke about this before this call, really interested in the go-to-market and the value proposition stuff. So is that something that you get a lot of chance to to work with and flourish within that? Or do you have, for example, product marketing teams and, as we say, other non-technical product managers that take the bulk of that work on? We do not have a dedicated product marketing team as such. So, And I'll tell you the way my boss put it out one day for me, which is very inspiring. He said, with me, you just pick your own battles and your own <laughs> path. <laughs> and that's so empowering to say. So I think it's one of the reasons why I also got get, got to work on the product marketing strategy and the go-to-market, right? So if I have to put my role, just to summarize your, just to give a summarize for your question, though my role says technical product manager, the most part of my role, I'm also trying to get into a little bit of house, which is not normally a product manager would do. Though I'm broadly concerned with what's and why's, I do get into a little bit of details as to the house. And I think that's where I'm like, as a technical product manager, if I, if I have to tell somebody who a technical product manager is versus a product manager, you are a part consultant part product manager in your role as technical product manager, right? So because you are threading that line between the hows and the whys and the what's. That makes sense. But another thing that we discussed before this call, which I found interesting, again, given the technical part of your title, was how technology isn't important. It's all about the people, which obviously I agree with. You know, we need to make sure that we're building real solutions for real people. And I've always been an advocate for not falling in love with a specific technical solution. But it feels like, obviously, in your role, that technical stuff should matter. But kind of riding that line again and riding that wave, how how much direct customer contact do you get as part of your job? Quite a bit, actually. I work with our clients very closely, uh, trying to understand their needs and requirements and trying to convert and translate them into roadmap requirements for Cinecore. Uh, 
trying to support, you know, both the both the parties and just walking that path where you keep your obviously your company's roadmap happy, but at the same time you're also meeting your clients' needs. So I work with them pretty pretty closely, I would say, about like close to seventy, eighty percent of the time I'm working with the clients. So Oh excellent. As as all good product managers should. But before this you originally started working for Deloitte in yep. India, I believe. Yep. So one of the big four. Yep. Very different type of job, I guess. It sounds really interesting, but very different. So so what sort of stuff were you working on at Deloitte? With Deloitte, I was a management consultant. So I wouldn't say, though on paper, being a consultant and being a product manager sounds very, very different. It was not actually. So I was working in mostly client-faced projects when I was in Deloitte, which meant I had day-to-day client interactions. So essentially, it was kind of the same, right? I would be taking clients' needs and requirements. So I was solving client problems, which is here I'm probably solving customer problems, which is slightly different. But at the end, I was still solving problems, which means the basic skill set like negotiation or uh, taking your product and selling it to your clients and customers, right? Translating them into your roadmap customer requirements, into your roadmap requirements. Pretty much the same. It's just that you, you will probably think differently. When I was in as a consultant, I would not think a lot about product vision. Probably somebody higher up would do that. When it come, came to me, I was talking in more in terms of user stories and defects and data, uh, analyzing the data. And on a day-to-day basis, just working with the client and solving whatever problems that they had. So on, on a foundation level, I think we still have the same concrete. <laughs> it's just the, as you build up over the layers, it's, it's different. The cliche of working for big four firms and for management consultant type firms is that you're, you're kind of in, you, you go and fire a bunch of people and you're out again. It's, <laughs> it sounds like what you were working on, as you say, was very similar to, to product management just by another name. Do you, do you feel that that experience within Deloitte really gave you the foundations for moving into product management further on in your career, or did you have to do a lot of learning to transition? It definitely, like my consulting experience definitely gave me the foundation, right? So the basic, Deloitte, as you know, is is the culture it revolves around people. And if, when you're in the product space, that is a very, very important skill to have. Obviously, the technology you might be working on is completely different, which is for me now. I'm, I never worked on identity before as much. But the basics are still the same. Like I remember when I was with Deloitte, I just loved playing with the applications we were building. It was just a fun time thing for me. My first job, I'm excited. I want to play around with everything. <laughs> <laughs> I had people who encouraged me to do that. And now, so that so I was actually picking up nuances and say, okay, this is what my application does. Probably it could do more. So you see, somehow, somewhere I was laying that foundation of thinking like a product manager, even when I was in consulting, right? But I still had to put in a lot of effort in terms of the questions I asked, right? I do, like I mentioned, as a consultant, I didn't care about the pricing strategy of my product. I did, not, <laughs> I did not care what my product vision was. Somebody had laid it out for me and we never even talked about it, right? I was more concerned about, okay, what, my, what does my client want? What are the features we're going to ship out in the uh, my first quarter? Which means what are the user stories and what are the sprints that I uh, what does sprint planning look like? What my what does my backlog look like? 
Now I have to shift that thought process, just elevate it a little and then say, okay, what are the features am I going to ship out in Q1, Q2, Q3 versus what does my backlog look like for Q1? (laughs) So that was the transition I had to make. Right. So it feels like it gave you a solid grounding in product delivery, but that perhaps you needed to then do some additional learning around that to move into the more strategic product management type roles. But is that something that came through the for the courses that you then did when you, you moved over to the US or was that self-study? It was a bit of both actually. So I did my master's in information systems and then I also did my independent research uh, with one of my professors. And that was mostly around IT strategy and software product management. So I read a lot <laughs> in general about product management. And I was listening to every podcast I could get my hands on. And then I was also listening to a lot of webinars. I think it was, I think Product School was hosting webinars and it was putting them online for free. So I was, I was getting my hands on on every material I could because my goal was to start talking and let's say like you walk the talk, (laughs) start walking and thinking like a product manager because when I was preparing for my interviews, one of the persons I was training with, I think it was my professor himself, he pointed out, like, you're still thinking like a business analyst. You probably need to, you, you're there, but you're not asking the right questions. So it was a lot of reading coupled with a lot of listening and actually trying to talk to people who have been in this space. And I knew that I was making a transition into product management without certain qualifications that are normally asked for, like, say, an MBA or a prior product experience, which meant my struggle was two, three times harder than it would have been for others, right? Yeah, but then after that, you would have found it presumably pretty easy to, for example, go back into some kind of consulting gig because of your history and your experience, but you went into full-time product management and took the plunge. Was it easy to get that first job, given what you've just said, or or did you have to really hustle to get that? Like, What, what was the process then to land that first job? It was a lot of waiting (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of uncertainty, (laughs) obviously. So um, I think just to give you a background, I'm an immigrant, right? Which means I was on my F1 visa. So I'm not a US citizen. Our process and the struggle is different because we are always time bound. We have to maintain a certain status, you know, certain qualification to be eligible to work here. So there was obviously that. And when I was looking for jobs, I was limited by three things. My first, my lack of product management experience. Two, my lack of an MBA degree. <laughs> and, <laughs> and three, obviously, the domain expertise. So I was so most of the product management roles, they ask you for a prior domain experience because it's easy. Yep. <laughs> and so I so my I and I was actually Looking at startups and all the mid-sized companies in and around, my husband even joked about it. So you get a job in Hawaii, Alaska, just go. (laughs) (laughs) If it's a product manager in Alaska, just go. Just get that first job and then you can figure things out. That's exactly what I did. Um, And I was applying to like 100 jobs a day, wherever I could find. Obviously, you always have a backup and I had a backup plan B, C and D. and it, it meant I also was aware of the fact that the number of interview calls I would get 
would be very, very few. So I was not essentially looking at only product manager roles, but product consultant, product analyst, customer success manager. Uh, and I did interview for a couple of customer success manager roles as well. And somehow it would always go till the end and then it didn't work out <laughs> for whatever <laughs> reasons, <laughs> most of them. And finally it was Cinecore. And it was a point when I just had Cinecore opportunity. I, I just gave the interview and for a week I was like, if I don't get this job, I don't know what to do. I'll be out of status, which means I need to get some damn job. Luckily, they took you on. Lucky. But along, alongside that, and you've mentioned product school uh, before just now, but you're also a founding 200 member of product school. Yeah. Uh, or product school pro, I think, which is an exclusive online resource invitation only. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've never heard of that before this call or before preparing for this call. So what's that all about? Uh, how did you get involved with that? So it's LinkedIn again. I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm stalking LinkedIn all the time. <laughs> <laughs> my, most of my friends would be stalking Instagram. I'm stalking LinkedIn just to, just for resources and, <laughs> and uh, you know, material and whatever. There's so much to learn out there and people are sharing some good stuff. So one of, I think one of my LinkedIn contacts became a founding, founding 200 member. And by then, so I'd been into product space for quite some time. I'm, I was, I'm really happy with what I'm doing, but I was I'm also I also started looking into learning beyond work. This is sometime around October and November. That's when I found this, and I did some research about it and got my way in. So as you said, right, it's an exclusive community. We have access to some exclusive content, webinars, and lots of learning material. Do you have to learn a handshake to uh, get through the door or anything? anything like that no <laughs> you just have to talk to their admissions and then figure out what it is <laughs> fair enough but you're you're there then as a as a contributor or as a learner or do you get to do some of both right now i'm just a learner i'm exploring the space as much um i i just also started taking up the product school sort uh, product manager certification so i'm i'm still i'm taking things very slow 2021 goal is take things slow Learn, learn, run, <laughs> and <laughs> don't rush. <laughs> but you did have some previous experience delivering education back in India. Yeah. With a place called Sahasra. Yeah. yeah. Which was around workshops and mentorships. And I think it says that you touched something like 20,000 lives with your efforts. Not, yeah. Presumably not just you, but like you and, and the team. Yeah. So that that implies that you've you've got a passion for delivering education as well. Do you feel that that's something that you would want to bring into things like product school and other organizations over here? Or is that some, an itch that you've already scratched? Definitely. Uh, I've tried to scratch that in, in the product space, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I would love to do that. Just because uh, here's here's the thing about product management. Every person, every product manager has a different story. Your entry into product management is not the same. And your journey as a product manager, no matter your entry, what your entry point was, is, again, totally different, right? Not every product manager wants to become a CPO, <laughs> or, or <laughs> <laughs> right? You might be a product manager, but then you understand that, oh, wait, I still love the technical aspects of product management. I might want to become a principal product manager or a platform product manager, right? So there are so many different parts and everybody's journey is so different. There's always a story to tell. And mine is particularly very different, I think, because when I when I told people I want to get into product manager, people said I couldn't. 
And a lot of people discouraged me from becoming one, which is probably why I wanted it more and more. <laughs> and so, so what reasons did they give to try to discourage you? I mean, do you feel, do you feel that they were informed reasons, or or just that the people didn't really know what that that job entailed? Some of them were plaque managers themselves, and I think it's just a personal experience, right? So here's the thing: you either like it or you hate it. <laughs> plaque management, as such, it's as rosy as people say it is <laughs> and that's beautiful <laughs> it has its own challenges and every day is new every day is a challenge you don't know what you're getting into the next day like I would be there and I would be in like a call a bridge the, from morning till evening trying to solve a problem that was not even a part of my schedule which means <laughs> my calendar is messed up <laughs> right and that's the beauty of it if you enjoy it so they had their own personal reasons which I totally understand it's not my story to tell but it was legit, but they scared me out. And this, and it was weird that people told me I couldn't do it. And I didn't believe them. <laughs> that just makes you want to do it more, right? Yeah. But also you say you thrive on chaos. I do. Now, obviously, there's chaos and there's chaos. But um, <laughs> do you feel that your personality lends itself then a lot more towards the the very cross-functional, very context-switchy type product management roles or, or do you feel that, that that's part of your personality that, that really helps you be effective? I think it's both, right? It's it's my personality. I like to adapt things and I basically here's what it is. I love working with people <laughs> in <laughs> general in general. Like in my entire career from the time I began with my first job in my into management consulting, I worked with different clients and some of them were really, really hard and difficult for ways people explained to me. Like you, you're starting on a new project, a new client, and people freak you out. I'm like, this is going to be so hard. This person is so difficult to work with. Do you know? I'm like, hold on. Let me figure it out. And, and surprisingly, I got along well with most, like all of them. I don't remember having problems with any clients and, and, and people that I've worked with. And I think it's... So so that's the whole point, right? I love working with people and every person is different, which means every time you work with a new person, it's a new challenge. And when you're in product management, I'm probably working with the engineering team, the sales team, and my boss and another VP and a client at the same time, which means I'm telling the same story to different people differently. <laughs> so that's fun. So you're the second person I've spoken to recently that has been involved with Toastmasters International. That implies a love of or a passion for public speaking, either that you're really good at it and you and you love doing it or that you're you're trying to get really good at it. Has public speaking been helpful in your career? Is it something that you are good at or is it something that you're looking to improve? I don't know if I'm good at it. If you talk to my <laughs> Toastmasters friends, they will tell you that I'm good at it and I don't need it. They've told me many a times. But I know I do have my own idiosyncrasies in my speech, so I need to work at it. But <laughs> uh, I joined Toastmasters less for my passion for public speaking or my interest, more for people. Like when I moved to this country, I needed to mingle with people from here, from locally just to get a get sense of the culture and just to make more friends. And when I joined my Toastmasters in Madison, Wisconsin, everybody in my uh, <laughs> my club were older than me, like in their 50s, and most of them were over 60. <laughs> and I actually made great friends, <laughs> get great friends then. Then I'm still in touch with them. 
so here's the beauty of the club I was in. When some you're speaking to somebody or listening to somebody who's over 60, they're telling stories out of their years and years and years of experience. And that essentially fascinated me. And whenever I moved, when I visited other clubs, everybody had a story to tell. And, and I personally love storytelling. <laughs> That's fair enough. And it, it is really interesting because one of the things that you see written about public speaking and, and being good at public speaking is that it makes you look like a better leader because people just naturally assume that someone that can comport themselves well in public and speak to a crowd is 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 a leader they they may not have any leadership capabilities at all but as long as they can speak well they're going to get more of a pass on that hey one of the good things about a leader is to be able to communicate a story whether it's yours or not (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) depends on the story you know don't want it to be built, built like a house of cards or something like that but do you feel that public speaking is a thing that we should all get better at? Or is it something that just a few people need to get good at, like if they have that, that those leadership positions? I think public speaking is something everybody should aspire to learn or at least get accustomed to at some point. Because here's the thing, we're talking to people, we're communicating ideas and thoughts everywhere possible. Like sometimes negotiating something with your parents could be a battle <laughs> and that needs uh-huh. some skill set <laughs> right um and even at work you are talking to your manager whether you're a product manager or not right even if you're an engineer you're trying to communicate a solution to an architect who probably has a different use that requires a lot of along with your technical ability your negotiation skill your persuasive skills and toastmasters if you look at toastmasters curriculum it's just not about public speaking not everybody's goal is to be on a stage and talk. Um, you, want, you, have, you want to improve your presentation skills, your persuasive skills, or your communication skills, in, in, as a matter of fact, right? So its curriculum caters to all these different skill sets, and which is why I think it's important whether you want to get on a stage or not. So it's just, it'll help you in your daily life. At least it did for me, so. But are you going to get up on stage once all this is over and start presenting your product mm. management experience to the uh, the wider world, or or do you feel that's not for you? I'd love to. <laughs> we'll see whether <laughs> the opportunity strikes my door sometime or not. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. So you're also content lead for products by women, which I can imagine maybe what that might be about. But in your words, what what is that organisation and and what's its mission? I was a part of, I, I was a content lead for the organization. It was started by Nemesha Murthy. And its its aim and vision is to actually bring women in the technology innovation space together so they can interact with each other. It has different programs. They have a job board. They conduct a lot of workshops. And right now, they also started a mentorship program. It's It's a wonderful community of, aspiring and inspiring women and it's a very very tight-knit community where people are like women try and encourage each other and have those difficult conversations when you need to so they are they are they conduct every often zoom workshops and there are also events and webinars that they can't conduct i think the latest one that's going to come up very soon is there's a mentorship program and products for women awards are going to come down soon and there's obviously the um the machine learning and ai event that's going to come on 
So just just trying to bring women out and giving them a platform to share and learn from each other. It, it's an it's an amazing community. Just a lot of positivity there. That obviously that's really great, but it's not easy for women to be in product and in tech, and it's something that comes up a lot at the moment. Have you faced any any challenges so far in your career being a woman in technology that mentorship and guidance has helped you with, or have you really had to to work that out as you go along? I did. Um, so here's, I think it's less that I was a woman and more because I was inexperienced as compared to the, some of the people I was working with. But I always had great mentorship to get, get me through my struggles. In fact, one of the people I admire the most is, you know, she's, she's one of the senior managers in Deloitte, Pratibha Ravindra, and I still look up to her. She's an amazing woman. She once told us uh, that you always have to take life with a pinch of salt and a good sense of humor, because there are struggles every step of the way. Whether you're a man or woman, your struggles are different. You always have struggles, right? But they're different. With women, it's harder because we don't always voice our struggles and we're ashamed, <laughs> right? And uh, we should not be. We should learn not to be ashamed obviously. But Products by Women has been one of those platforms where if I had a trouble and I wanted an ear, they always lend an ear. And if I have an idea I wanted to share, I would always say, hey, we have this idea. What can we do about this? And there was always always somebody to encourage you, but it was always up to you to take it over. But there was always somebody, you know, you know that they had your back. So that was, that was nice. Yeah, fantastic. And hopefully they'll continue to help women all around to continue their product careers because I think it's so important to keep driving that message home because it's bizarre that we're still in this situation in 2021 where we're still having to persuade certain segments of the technology space that, that, that women should be there at all, which is just horrific. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> for, for our viewers, uh, fingers were just crossed on the camera. You claim to get up uh, sometime between 4.30 and 5 a.m. every day. Now, that's horrifying for me because I don't think I could sustain that for more than a couple of days uh, if I had to. So is this one of those top 10 habits of successful people cliches or is it something you've always done? And, and, and what do you do in, in those hours before everyone else gets up? Well, I don't know about the top 10 habits of successful people, but let's say we'll blame my parents, my parents for now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so growing up in India, I was told that when you wake up early in the morning, 3.40 to 4 is the best time you can study where, where, you know, all the, there's obviously some scientific reason, but people explain that all the magnetic forces are aligned and they, they will help you grasp stuff. And I bought it just because I loved studying. <laughs> I needed anything and everything. And I also liked it because everybody would be asleep, which means I would be myself and I could read, I'd study my own time. And and it's also my father. Let's just blame him here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, even when I was sick, he used to wake me up at 6 a.m. in the morning and say, wake up, have your breakfast, take another nap if you want to. Even if, when I was not going to school, I was sick at home, not going to school. And that just ruined me completely where wherein by now I can't sleep beyond seven. And anybody who wakes beyond, uh, you know, later than seven or eight, I'm like, you're late. I'm like, no, this is what normal people do. <laughs> <laughs> but when I wake up in the morning, I normally 
read a lot. So which means and sometimes if I have work, like my office work to complete, and because we are in meetings all day, and I need to actually put my head down, think about something or get some documentation out. That's the time. Like if somebody is going to say, you want to get on a call with me at 6am in the morning to brainstorm something, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I would normally do. But uh, I usually normally start my work at day, which means by the time it's 6.30 or 7, if I want to get a workout, I would have gotten it done. And I would have had my great breakfast alone in peace. (laughs) And (laughs) (laughs) nobody disturbing me. And I would have read something or I would have just... uh, I started meditating very recently again, so I would have completed my routine, and I'm all refreshed and charged up for the day. Wow! And you'd probably fall asleep by by five o'clock in the afternoon, though, right? No, nine is the max. I can nine thirty. I can't nine <laughs> beyond nine thirty. If somebody's trying to talk to me, I'm like, I'm done. I'm I'm sleepwalking by then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're an example to us all. And what advice would you give? someone trying to break into product management either from professional services or consulting uh, or not just some person who's just getting started in their career what advice would you give one of those people to make their leap into product management first thing i would tell them is to understand that these the journey is not going to be easy to for transition into product management it's never easy so that's the first fact we all need to accept and second, try to understand where you're coming from and where you want to be. And, and that means you need to change your thought process. And it's not straightforward, right? You need to ask the right questions. And you need to understand. Here's the thing about product management. It is huge and wide, <laughs> right? There are so many verticals within product management. And when you're making an entry, you don't have to master it all. You have to learn what they are and try and find where your strengths are. And for that first role, I would say being a product manager should be the greater goal, but try and get that entry into product space, which is actually difficult as well. Like just getting that first job as like I was, as I told you, right, I was applying to different roles in the product space and that's what it was I give everyone. Product manager is your end goal. It does not always have to be a first job. I was okay being a product consultant, though they didn't hire me, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You would have been okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would have been okay. I I just wanted to get into that product space. That was more important to me than having that title as a product manager. Cherry on the top if you get it, but focus on getting into that product space and learning more about what you need to become one, say five years from now, than aiming to be uh, product manager right the first time and where can people find you if they'd like to talk about product management or any of the other things that they've heard on this recording today linkedin i'm on linkedin as dipti tadala i'm on instagram as the aclavia and i'm pretty available in both to chat about product management career excellent well that's been a really fantastic chat and really interesting to hear about your journey and some of the things that, that move you so thanks very much for coming on Let's keep in touch and and let's speak soon. Thanks very much. Thank you for having me. Stay in touch. As ever, thanks for listening. It's been my pleasure to share this conversation with you and I hope you found it inspiring and instructive. If you did, you could do worse than going on to onenightinproduct.com, that night with a K, or finding us on the podcast app of your choice, 
so you can listen to some of the other inspiring conversations I've had with passionate product people. Hit subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends, and let's see if we can inspire everyone together.